Welcome to the Estimate Mastery Podcast, where we teach contractors how to not leave money behind in Xactimate and get paid what you're worth. Welcome back here to episode number 10 of our podcast. Super excited for you to be here. And today we're going to be talking about what's your reputation worth. So when I say that, would you say that you're easy to work with when it comes to the adjuster discussion, or does it almost come to blows every time you know, you're know you talking with the, with the insurance company? And then also just kind of, I don't mean to be one of those people, it's like, what are your ethics, right? Because I used to be a real estate agent and gosh, those ethics classes, like I roll, but just seriously, like, are you, you know, what are you adding to your estimate? What is your estimate including? Is it including everything that's legitimate and reasonable? Or are we adding a bunch of fluff that we have to discuss, you know, have to remove at the end of the, the day anyways? We're going to be talking about all of that today here. I've got Josiah and I've got Todd on the podcast with me. And of course, you know, Josiah is our uh, lead coach here at Estimate Mastery. And then Todd Beckman is our Exactware certified trainer that we have on staff. So let's jump with both feet into this. And, and talk about this, what's your reputation worth issue, because we're seeing this more and more as the insurance companies put, are getting harder and harder to work with that, you know, some people just get fed up and, and uh, it's just a yell fest when it could be, there's always a better and easier way. So Josiah, I'm going to let you go ahead and start off on that. So I, I bring a unique perspective into this because I was an adjuster for 14 years. So I was on the opposite side of the fence. Right. And so when you, get into this conversation, I've dealt with the whole spectrum of contractors out there. Um, Quick story, when I was working as a desk adjuster, and this has been forever ago, 15 years ago, probably, we found out that one of the mitigation contractors that we use a lot, I mean, all the time, we they would be running at probably two or three jobs a week for us. Um, but the owner of the company was actually stealing appliances that would be moved out or was taking money out of the house. And so once that got out, there was like this huge issue with the, like all of the jobs that they had done for us in the past. And we had we had to go back and do a huge SIU investigation. So it's also so I've seen the worst. I've also seen the ones where they show up. They look at your estimate. They go, oh, I just need this line item and this line item. And I can do this job, no problem, after they've already done their inspection. And so I've seen it on both sides of the fence. And now let me tell you what, I much more appreciated the one that was upstanding and reputable and had a, had a good conversation with. But it, that's not always the case. You're not, you're not going to have the black and you're not going to have the white. You're mostly going to be dealing with that gray between. Yes. And that's what we've encountered because I was in, I was having a third party supplementing firm, I would encounter adjusters that were just, you know, stonewalling. There was no, there was no reasonable thing I could provide to them for them to say yes. Right. So I didn't need to beat them up. I just need to provide the facts. And if they weren't going to be reasonable and listen to the facts and add the line items needed to, you know, bring the home back to the condition before the loss, then I needed to talk to somebody who could. And the, I, I jumped to the contractor side, but there's absolutely adjusters in the same boat. I, I worked with a guy to the point where I ended up taking files that had went to appraisal from him because he was so difficult for the our appraiser to work with. He was so difficult with our appraiser to work with that I had a file with this appraiser. He called me up and he goes, 
I am begging you, take this follow. I am begging you. Just so happened the adjuster went on vacation. I called my boss and said, hey, I'm already doing one with this appraiser. Can I just have it? And he's like, yeah, that's a great idea. And so I ended up pulling that appraisal from my coworker because he was being so difficult to work with. And he was like, that. we got that complaint all of the time. And there's no reason for it to be on either side of the fence. I mean, we're all just trying to get along. We're all just trying to make it through life. But yes, so I've seen it on both sides. And it's it's difficult regardless of the situation. Yes, absolutely. And I will agree there's tons of contractors. And that's why we're having this conversation is I believe that if you can just change your mind and take a step back, take a breath and just say, look, this is an emotional experience that has to happen here. All we have to do is present facts, a well-documented estimate. And then the adjuster can say yes or no. If they say no, we just take the next step. We don't have to get all riled about it. But I've worked with contractors where they will beat the adjuster over the head until they get their very last nail paid for. Like, this is not necessary. And I think the reason that comes out of this, and this is a rabbit hole, we won't go down on this podcast, but man, we're going to have one in the future, is they don't know their profitability. So if they, if you can get to a certain amount, so like in my supplement business, I knew the margin, I knew the, what I needed to get a price per square for each contractor I was working with. And when we got to that amount on the estimate, if the adjuster didn't want to pay supervisory or didn't want to pay general cleaning of the yard or whatever it was, I could let those things go. I didn't have to like dig my nails in and be like, you're paying everything on this estimate. It's like give and take. It's almost like a sales presentation with the adjuster. So going into that, Todd, I'd like to ask you, you know, going from that documentation standpoint, if you just submit, if I just submit to you, oh, here's my estimate, Todd, you're the adjuster and you know, you deal with it. I don't provide photos. I don't provide measurements. I don't provide anything to substantiate what I'm doing. How, I mean, how are you supposed to pay that? You can't. So let's talk a little bit about that documentation aspect. Yeah. And I, I worked for uh, the dark side as well. Let's like Josiah. I was, I was an adjuster and uh, certain aspects uh, lend itself to the way that the outcome is. So we had metrics that we had to achieve to get our bonuses at the end of the year. One of which was to take a faraway picture and take a close-up. And I can remember on my metrics, not taking a close-up picture of that chair rail in a basement on a, on a water loss, um, that was counted against me. So they have requirements that they have to follow because it, you know, if it is a covered peril, then you have to show evidence of the damage and why it needs to be replaced or does it need to be just detached and reset? That makes a difference at the end of the day. But I think we need to keep in mind kind of the logistics of how the insurance companies work from the start. When I was employed, I was sat, I sat down with the rest of the new hires, and we were told that we were hired for one reason, and that was to save them money. So what's on your mind? Man, I'm not going to give away the, the ship. I'm, I'm going to just piecemeal this. But because I had contracting in a background, I didn't write a low scope. Um, but it's intentional that they hire uneducated people, and that they overburden them with the amount of claims that they have to do in a, in a restricted amount of time. And so that's built, that comes from the top down. Uh, there's books that have been written about that that we could delve into. But reputation is everything. I mean, we all put, put our pants on the same way, but at the end of the day, what the contractor is bound to is what's required by code and manufacturer specifications and standards of care, right? And what's necessary. So necessary, was it necessary to put scaffolding up? Well, yeah. 
you know, it's higher than this, you know, 20 feet or whatever, and it can charge for it. You know, I, was, I needed that that dumpster chute uh, because it's greater than 20 feet. And, you know, kick out, kick, kick out flashing, all the things that go with code are going to be in that report that's required and necessary. So if the contractor stays on his side, he can, and, and, and Alina, you said this before, you can write the perfect estimate, including all the items that, uh, you know, were necessary to do that job, but then have them turn you down. However, if you submit documents that prove that that's what the course of action you had to take uh, by way of industry standard, once required and necessary, and you have photographs to go with it, then if the adjuster turns you down, you don't stop there. You go upstream. You talk to the supervisor. You talk to the office manager. And then there's only one thing left after that. It's either, you know, an attorney case or you're going to go to appraisal. And uh, which, which you, it, you know, it's, it's a funny world we live in, but they've created the situation where it's twice the amount of, of hassle to do a, a insurance job than it is a retail job. Retail, you have none of this, but everybody wades into this, this pond thinking there's no alligators here. You know, <laughs> in fact, it's it, go ahead. Josiah. <laughs> well, but there's, I mean, there's two, two aspects I want to add on to this. So insurance jobs are recession proof. Right. Like, so that's what they see is that they're going to wade into this because of the fact that there will always be insurance companies, because if you have a mortgage, you have to have an insurance. So there are always going to be property claims to, to handle. Secondly, the biggest part of all of this, even as you're barking up the chain of command, the ones that would I remember distinctly are the kind but squeaky. So you catch more flies with honey. Than you do with vinegar, right? And I remembered that, but the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Those are the two adages that I always tell people work the best with adjusters because if you're kind to them, they will give you the benefit of the doubt. Absolutely. They're not supposed to and they're trained not to, but they will. If you're nice to them and you're kind to them, like I I remember bending over backwards. And if I could document it and write it up in my file to get it paid to get rid of it, I would do that, especially for the kind people, the ones that would call and yell at me. And I know that you're not supposed to to say this. The ones that would call it and yell at me, I would take a harder approach with it because they were mean. The and then going to the squeaky wheel gets the grease. If the ones that were kind and called me every day or sent me an email every day, their stuff would get bumped to the top of the list because I'd want them to go away. You know, because I had other work to do. So those are the two. I mean, so kind like if if you take anything out of this podcast from me today catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar and the squeaky wheel gets to grease. So I always say be kind, but be squeaky. So just to add kind of onto your points too, and I could keep going, but I'm sure it looks like Alina has something to say. So. And that's actually something that we teach in our course and our membership is have a systematized way of following up with the adjuster because it's true. Kindness is key, but uh, they also don't appreciate it. If you know, you don't get back with them or you don't provide the documentation that they need, or, you know, you're dragging out the file because all an adjuster wants to do is close the claim. So if you can get them on a Friday, you'd be like, dude, if we could just get this line item paid and we can release depreciation, you can close this claim. You're going to be their best friend. Yep. Hey, the only good claim file is a closed. One. And where Todd, you know, used to work, they would require how many you, that you would close a day with all the basement floods and everything else. Yeah, it was 2.3. The problem was my supervisor thought firsthand, I invited him out, is that sometimes you have five hours drive time around this area. And our claims were like none other. 
because we always encountered basements and it was 90% water claims. You get a toilet overflowing on a third level and it goes all the way down to the basement. So it's like double the size of the required houses that they had, you know, in, in, uh, in, in uh, not only California, but also, you know, other other areas where they don't have basements. <laughs> That's where the metrics were built, but we, we encountered, you know, different variables here. So, yeah. Exactly. So if you can listen to what we're saying on the adjuster's side and what they're dealing with, then you hopefully can have some compassion that, look, these guys are stressed out to the hilt. They have to meet all these requirements. There's all these rules, all these stresses on their job. So if you can work into the system, instead of throwing a stick in their bicycle wheel, if you can come at them with an estimate that's properly written, properly documented, and you're kind, you're going to have a lot more going for you than the guy down the street who just throws something at him, says, figure this out, and is on his way. And when the adjuster calls to discuss, he's yelling at him. I mean, you're going to be up there, you know, in that mind's eye of that adjuster. So um, I did want to go back for one second, jump back to that point about the adjusters that are just, you know, they stonewall, they never pay anything. We had a guy here in Utah, whenever I would see that the uh, cover sheet had his name on it, I was like, not calling that guy because he never does anything. I knew to call the desk adjuster. So that being said, we need to know what kind of adjuster sometimes that we're speaking with. Is it a field adjuster that's on staff? Is it a cat adjuster in a hurricane wind or hail situation and they're working the cat storm? You actually want to talk to the cat guy. He's cool. Uh, You know, independence is what I mean, independent adjusters. Then you've got your inside uh, staff adjusters that are just desk adjusters that never go out to the field. And so you got to figure out kind of who you're talking to. And again, going up to that stonewall aspect, you can always ask for a supervisor. You can always go up the food chain and say you have a non-responsive adjuster and then, or, you know, someone that's just not willing to speak with you and go up the food chain on that. And then of course there's other avenues like public adjusting appraisal attorney and state board of insurance. So there's a lot there. Uh, I don't want to unpack all of that, but I just want to say that there are other avenues and you just don't give up, be kind, squeaky and tenacious. Well, and to go back to what we're talking about today, which is uh, what's your reputation worth, right? And if it gets out in the insurance industry that you're extremely difficult to work with, you're going to run into more issues when it comes to adjusters. I mean, most adjusters in an area, it's a pretty small community and usually it's pretty tight knit because people will work one place and then go to a different place. So everybody kind of knows everybody, like especially in my area. So once you get out to be that difficult person, they're just not going to want to deal with you. And if you're a little bit on the shady side with the items that you're putting into your estimates, and uh, if you take advantage of other people, that gets out too. We had a specific contractor here that I think I've alluded to a couple of times in our conversations that what they did is they went out and they did a whole bunch of jobs after a storm. I think they did like two or 300 roofs after a storm. And then every job that they had that was with a specific carrier, what they did at the end is they filed a lawsuit on behalf of their homeowners for the overhead and profit. Yeah, it doesn't sound terrible. The homeowners didn't even know that they did it. So, that's what I'm talking about. Yes. Do I, I'm all about getting you overhead and profit all day, every day on the jobs. I'm also about doing it the right way. That was not the right way. And every, yeah. as soon as that hit, everybody in the, in the community knew about it. 
and they no longer exist. So those are the things that you need to make sure that you're doing. Yes, we want to get overhead and profit paid, but is that overhead, is that three or $4,000 on that $20,000 file worth damaging your reputation moving forward and costing you jobs? And there are a handful of companies out there now still in my area that everybody knows not to use because of the same situations. Um, and it's really difficult to, to, to navigate that sometimes. And that's why we're here. We're trying to teach you guys how to do it the right way. We're trying to show you how to work with Inexactimate and use it to your advantage and to provide the appropriate documentation to your adjuster so that you stay on the right side. Yeah, there's another, like I, I can name a specific one. It's a huge company in our area. As an adjuster, I hated going against them because they were always right. Right. They were always right. They always in, they always increased the size of the job and they were always right every time it drove me nuts. But like they did it the right way. I can't be mad. like it drove me nuts that they did it, but they did it the right way. And so the, those are the like the, the avenues that you have to, to remember when you're walking down. Todd, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think um, we've touched on the most of it. And that's the communication is imperative. Uh, but if you find that you have a an adjuster that is very is very authoritarian, but is on the wrong side of the fence, and he basically represents non factual, just his opinion, I think it's it's uh, that we have to hold each other accountable. So if if you see that he's actually talking down to your customer and taking a course of action that uh, is is uh, Shady, I think they need to be reported to the State Board of Insurance. You can actually create a grievance file. Get rid of the bad clowns out there. There's there's enough of them out there that just, they uh, they don't play by the rules. And it's like, they want us to play by the rules, but they don't want to play by the rules. They think they're, because they've got all the money, you know, that they, they can rule and make the rules up as they go. And that's not true. That's why it's so important to look at exact words, published white papers, as well as knowing construction standards and and also knowing about policy i think those three areas if you're getting into this industry you need to know those three areas backwards and forwards so certification is good having a contractor's like general contractor's license is, is great um and and then knowing about all the your policy and, and all about insurance it's pretty critical to the process because then you can hold people accountable you know it's the right course of action against what they might present is the right course of action, which could be totally false. Yep. Excellent. Excellent stuff. And I hope that everybody has some good takeaways. This is a really good one. And this is the kind of stuff that we talk about here at Estimate Mastery all of the time, talking about, you know, what's bad faith? How can we hold them accountable with like Consumer Protection Act and all kinds of different avenues? But I think we touched on most of it today and hope you got some good information out of this. So if you have any questions or have any additional comments, you can always feel free to email us at info at estimatemastery.com. And of course, check out our website to get more information on the training that we offer. And, uh, you know, take a look at our YouTube channel. We've got a lot of training over there as well as on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram. So thank you so much for joining us today and we'll see you in the next episode.